Hello, you lovely lots, and welcome along to the Football Ramble. It's the 24th of June. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Vidushan Hunter-Raja. And what a lovely day it is, boys. We are expecting top temperatures in the UK today. I'm the weather girl. Yeah. Uh, 31 <laughs> degrees it's meant to be today. The hottest day of the year so far in England, Luke. And I'm you're sweating. Presu- you're presumably loving it. I'm loving it. I'm all about just sunbathing in the garden at the moment. Not for me. I don't like no, I can't what? be doing with it. Yeah, no. I'm a, I'm you don't like very, the heat? I'm a very sweaty man. I don't, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've got, I, I didn't I've, want to say anything, but <laughs> I've got tropical roots, but um, unfortunately they don't pass down a generation. So I'm I'm very much built and most comfortable in the cold. What's your favourite season? My favourite season is autumn. Yeah, I'll be the same. What? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, what autumn, you... autumn or spring coming into a bit of sun. Yeah, basically jacket I do like weather. That. Yeah. yeah, I do like yeah. spring coming into summer, but yeah. the best season is summer. Yeah, You've got to enjoy okay. this heat and this weather and being able to. Just go to your garden right now. Yeah. That's all yeah. you can do. No Some, pubs yet. Summer for me is always a reminder of the fact that I haven't got as fit as I thought I would be <laughs> yeah. at the point where I'm on a beach and I think about taking my shirt off. You're speaking my language, mate. You're speaking my language. That's you just described the last 25 years of my life. <laughs> well, look, it's the first time us three are doing a ramble together. Yeah, so exciting. it's um, lovely to be here with you boys. And we've got a couple of games from last night in the Premier League to talk about. Tottenham beating West Ham 2-0 and a goalless draw between Leicester and Brighton. Plus, plenty more games to come in the Premier League this evening as well, which we'll preview later on too. But let's start with Tottenham against West Ham. A good win for Spurs. They're now one point off Manchester United and Wolves looking for that European spot. But for West Ham, their troubles continue. Uh, that loss to Tottenham means that they are just outside the relegation zone on goal difference now. And Vish, you were actually at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last night. What was it like? I was. Um, it was, in terms of getting there, it was quite a slick operation. We had to kind of, there were only a certain number of journalists let in. So we basically had to fill in a series of questionnaires beforehand. Um, I basically pulled up in my car. My car, my mum's Honda Jazz. <laughs> pulled up in there and they someone's like is that a player there's a player in he's got here late well that's the thing when I left when I left there was a group of kids outside and they were clearly like looking in the window and I definitely have the worst car of the press back I can tell you that now yeah. and people are kind of looking through the wind tinted windows and seeing who it is and my windows are tinted for cleanliness reasons rather than any kind of uh, you know extras I've had, I've paid for but yeah they didn't bother with my car I was able to pull out at ease but um, yeah in terms of the game itself it was absolutely dire um really really bad um and it kind of it, it was kind of a good thing that harry kane scored to mark his 200 game because otherwise i think a lot of us would be wondering what the hell we were doing there it wasn't the best first half particularly was it luca mm, no. it was fairly stale wasn't it but it sort of livened up a little bit it did and i wonder if there's anything in the idea that the type of football that's usually play, played in the premier league and the type of football that we're used to watching is kind of all muck and bullets all blood and thunder and and i know it's got more technical over the years with the introduction of coaches like pep guardiola and and you know and to a lesser extent um jose mourinho but it is still this this league that um trades on the pace and the excitement and when that's your USP and you come back to a situation where players clearly aren't fully match fit, there's no crowd to, to kind of whip them up and, and all the rest of it, it does seem a lot more stark than it does in the Bundesliga, I think. Obviously, we, we, we had our apprenticeship, if you like, getting back into football, watching the Bundesliga, which is more technical um, and different to watch. And because all, 
I mean, I'll speak on behalf of myself here, because you don't generally watch a lot of it every week, it's all quite new to you anyway. The Premier League feels a bit like a shadow of what it was, which is kind of understandable. And is it better than nothing? Obviously it is, but at the same time, it becomes a bit more stark, doesn't it? The, the difference in, in, the, in the intensity that we're seeing. I mean, what, how did it translate in the stadium, Vish? Because um, it's cl- clearly going to be a different, a completely different experience for, for you working there than it would have been before, before football stopped. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. I've done two games from ground so far. I, was, I did Vicarage Road on Saturday, and obviously the game yesterday. Another and classic. I know. Yeah, I've really <laughs> loved the purists. Them, yeah. <laughs> you know when you were like when you were younger and you had a series of house parties to choose from, and you always ended up choosing the worst one. Yeah. Like, I've done that twice <laughs> in a row. Now. But um, I, I think when you're at the game, it's a lot easier. I, I suppose it's a lot more palatable because you kind of sit down. You appreciate there's no no fans, and the noise is obviously a lot less. But you kind of fall into it pretty quickly. You recognise the colours, you recognise the players and you recognise the Premier League within it. It's definitely starker on TV when you're there watching right. it and thinking this is totally alien to the product we had before. I think and as, as well, said, Vish, because that stadium is so amazing when it's full of fans. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It must be yeah. such a weird contrast now. Yeah, well, I, I, I tell you what, actually, I I didn't really buy into this whole football without fans is nothing, especially at that level because... We know at that level it's all about money and in terms of performance, it's such high octane stuff that it really kind of the product speaks for itself. Whereas yesterday, when it was because the game was so bad, you kind of, <laughs> but, but generally, you kind of realize that actually fans going to games, everyone takes something different from a game. You could be a season ticket holder at that, or that might be your first game. All these games mean something to fans when they go there. For example, that could have been someone's first game as a Spurs fan, as a West Ham fan. It could have been a present someone bought for their old man for Father's Day last Sunday. And you kind of realise that fans help bring a bit more context to those games beyond the table because we do end up, you know, we've got such a great fan culture in this country. And that was probably the first time actually yesterday when I was there at the ground and thought, I almost felt a bit guilty guilty being there, to be honest. I I posted a photo and a mate of mine replied, who's a Spurs fan, saying, oh, don't you, just making me jealous. And Mm. I actually thought, that's probably a bit naff of me, actually. I'm not a Spurs fan. I'm not a West Ham fan. I'm paid to be here. I've had, I've basically, they've rolled the red carpet out in terms of, you know, protocols to get me in. And it felt a little bit showy. And it felt, it actually felt a bit wrong that, that I was boasting about being there when so when thousands and thousands of people... Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to be there based on what transpired. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, but, you know, it's... Uh, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, it, it does. It really... That really kind of hammered it home did, yesterday, actually. Did you have any insight? In, were you sat quite close to the players on the bench? Did you have any insight? In, yeah, any insight into that? One of what? my mates the other day at the Man City game against Burnley was sat six seats away from Kevin De Bruyne. Right. That's just so weird when yeah. you think about it. You never normally get to be that close to a yeah. player when they're on the bench. Where were you sat, Vish? So I was sat, um, so we were still sat in the press box. The Spurs, because the stadium's so big, the Spurs press area is really big. So we were kind of spaced out accordingly and within the confines of that. We've seen at other grounds, actually, the journalists have been sitting in the stands. Um, but yeah, we were very close to the players. I was, I kind of had a lot of the West Ham players on my side. And t- t- to be honest, after... You know, the game started, the first 10 minutes, there was a lot of shouting instructions from the players and, you know, telling people man on and where the next pass was. And by the end of it, people were just laughing because they <laughs> kind of appreciated that by about... Were they really? Genuinely, yeah. I think So Og Bonner, by the end of it, was just like, he just kind of given up and was kind of chuckling to himself in, in a kind of playful way with, with their with the man who was closest to well, them. Because the they, they just think that it was it was just bad. No, because I, I think it was more, I, I suppose, gallows humour, really, that right, everyone okay. was so exhausted. And I, I think by the end of it, yeah. it was a bit of rather you than me, mate. You, know? you have seen that in quite a few of the games so far, that it's sort of the, the first half seems very slow because they're taking their time <clears> to get <throat> into the game. 
But then equally, the last sort of five or so minutes of the games, they all just look knackered. Yeah, well, when Harry Kane scored, he just collapsed in a heap, really, just on yeah. the side. Um, it was no great celebration. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose we're going to talk about it in a bit more detail, but I don't think West Ham were actually that bad. You know, I think they had a third of the ball in the first half, but actually probably did more with it than Spurs, even though Spurs had a goal disallowed because of offside. But um, I, <laughs> I don't think there's any way at all that West Ham should be down where they are with the players they've got. No, I think it's, it's a testament to the to the the way the club's been run, the management structure they've had or not, as the case may be. Because you look at that team and some of the individuals they have in there. Now, I, I think that um, Jared Bowen is an excellent signing. He yeah, was excellent brilliant. last night. He, he was, yeah. I was genuinely worried as a Brighton fan when West Ham signed Jared Bowen in January. I thought... That's going to make a difference. I'm worried now because that could be the difference for West Ham. Yeah, he, I thought he was outstanding last mm. night. I thought Antonio was really game. I thought Declan Rice played really well. Yeah. They've got... If you look at their squad of players... Um, even some of the players they had on the bench that can have a different like Philippe Anderson on the bench yeah. um, Manuel Lanzini on the bench um, Yarmolenko he doesn't start Lanzini though well I, 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 thought, I, thought, I thought it was really interesting actually I, th- I thought yesterday we saw David Moyes' hand there I think he wants hard workers and I, it mm. was so telling that you know you listed Philippe Anderson Lanzini there both came on as substitutes Yarmolenko unused mm. and he went with basically the people he trusts and those people were Bowen, Antonio and Fornells, who are three very hardworking players. And I think that's probably what you need. It's more so now than ever before, because, you know, as we we mentioned earlier, the Premier League isn't the same product as it was a few months ago. You're just going to have to find a way to get through this the next two months. And you're you're not going to make any great tactical shifts. We're not going to suddenly see West Ham playing really attractive football. They just need people who can run. It sounds really simplistic. Are you saying that they would play really sort of attractive football in normal circumstances (laughs) under David Moyes? Is that what you're saying? I I think I am, yeah. Under the uh, under the one of the four horsemen himself. (laughs) David Moyes said a weird thing a while back, didn't he? Say it's I'm a winner. It's just what I do, or something like that. And it's and he's won about two games since then. (laughs) It's not great, is it? What do you think the problem is? then at West Ham do you think it's a mentality issue Luke I don't think they're very well run as a club no, not at all, and I don't no. think they I don't think that they um have much strategy when it comes to the managers they hire and the decisions that they make and I think that they've they've lost a lot of trust in that with, with their fan base because of what happened with the stadium there's just there's no there's no way they should be where they are um, with the players they've got. If you look at that game against against Spurs, who a Spurs team who are finding their way back at the end of quite a long successful cycle by their own standards, they've got they've got these players coming back, but they're they're kind of quite new to it. You know, I mean, they 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 have to bed players in. They're playing slightly. They've got no really no great defence to speak of. Um, Spurs, they've got a lot of players who aren't really improving players, and the new players that they've brought in haven't really properly settled yet, and they've got a mixture of different injuries. And and given what's happened in the Bundesliga with away performances and stuff, I don't know why West Ham wouldn't just go for it. Just I mean, just go for it. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna lose two 0 in that in that fashion anyway, just go, just go for it. I don't see the the rationale for playing like a weird four two three one with Mark Noble in in the number ten role. I mean, it's, it's I know I know it was kind of a bit more like a four three three, but it's just a bit a bit strange. It's very very overly negative. It says to me that what we're gonna do here is we're gonna keep it as tight as we can and hope Jared Bowen cuts on his left foot and scores. Yeah, and and, yeah. and he does that a lot. He did that a lot in the championship and he's very good at doing that and that's kind of his thing and he, it was a bright spark for them. But it's not really a plan, is it? No, I think a lot, when you look at West Ham's recruitment as well, they've always, kind of, I suppose, bought ahead of their station and because of that, they've had to buy a certain type of player who has shown flashes of brilliance but is not quite 
been given the chance at a, at a higher club. And often that's down to attitude. And I thought it was, it was really interesting. I spoke to someone at West Ham the start of the year um, and they were talking about Marco Arnautovic and they said it, when it was going well, he was brilliant. Mm. And then as soon as they started to tip off, he started to tip off even more dramatically. And he said one of the issues is that because of because of where they do their shopping in terms of which bracket, I suppose, you're always going to come into contact with that kind of player. So even someone like Felipe Anderson, who isn't a particularly difficult character, but is so used to playing at a high level that, you know, scrapping isn't natural yeah. to him. He's, he's probably... A different more, challenge for him, basically. Yeah, and he's probably actually more effective when they're chasing the game because they need him to do something. They need to get him the ball. So he doesn't... You almost have to shield certain players from that really blood and gut side. And when you start... When you have that... 20 minute period at the end where you need to start playing football because you're still in the game that's kind of when you bring them on mm. and so it's they're in a really awkward situation their squad is an absolute mess yeah really, isn't it and they're it's, really struggling of... to score goals aren't they as well Luke I mean not yeah. having Sebastian Allaire for this you know these last few games of the season that's that is tough on a side who are, are fighting to stay up in the Premier League yeah I mean they score goals roughly commensurate with the teams around them but I mean they don't really want to be in the position they're in and, and when, when Vish says their squad's a mess I mean my, my take on that is they've got quite a lot of good players and they, they just can't blend them yeah well I mean th- but that's it yeah they kind of they could play you know really really quite narrow quite rigid football or they could play really flair football and there's nothing in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they're just a bit you, a loss, yeah. You said, Vish, a minute ago that you didn't think West Ham were that bad. So do you think they should feel a bit hard done by by last night's result, particularly the way the first goal came about? A very scruffy own goal, which actually, when you look back at it on VAR, it does the ball does hit Davinson Sanchez's arm. And by the letter of the law, even though this rule is bonkers and, and shouldn't really stand whether it's deliberate or not deliberate handball that is the law and that's what we've been playing to this season it's so- the kind of goal you get when it's the best league in the world guys you know what? I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that bad energy breeds bad energy, and that game was bad energy, and it right. deserved that goal. <laughs> so David Moyes was absolutely fuming about it in the, at the end. He's did always you, fuming about stuff. Did you see his stuff, post-match though, interview though with Sky Sports? It was brilliant. Yeah. He, he basically was like, "Who was on VAR?" <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. know who, I want who names. was on VAR? Give me the names of the dresses no, now. You're 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. I feel sorry for David yeah. Coote because he's going to get what it is here yeah. from David Boys, honestly. Who is David Coote though? Has anyone ever actually seen him? I've never seen no, him. No, that sounds like, you know, when you can't get the rights to a real referee. Yeah. What's yeah. David Coote? He's yeah. one of those old school pro Evo Hayden Pennyfeather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of them, wasn't it? Is David, are you suggesting, Jules, David Moyes is going to go down the old uh, Liam Neeson route? Where he's going to say, <laughs> this is what I do. I will find you. I'm a professional. I will find you. Kill you. Yeah, and I will read the rules to you again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. imagine, imagine that voice down the phone line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the face, the look yeah. he gave to the Sky Sports. I mean, that's just, that's just his Dreams, face, though, isn't it? Yeah, he, was, just... he just looked at him and was like, "Who was it?" Yeah. Who was on VAR? <laughs> yeah. The worst thing about that is presumably David Moyes can find that out himself just by looking know. at the information he's been given in the game that he's managing in. Yeah, it's a team sheet. Yeah. It's yeah. not the team <laughs> sheet. Has the referees, assistant referees, all yeah. there, yeah. What do you, you make weather, of, mate? What do you make of um what do you guys make of Jose Mourinho? Because obviously we had, uh, the guys covered it on the game on the show yesterday, talking about him and having this little kind of uh weird battle with Paul Merson. Like as far as like Mourinho you tell me Mourinho really wanted to make a point. But he probably quite likes Paul Merson, so he didn't want to go over the top. And then he just said a load of stuff that wasn't true anyway. Yeah. It kind of it was it was, the numbers weird. It, was, were all it, was wrong. it was very much a twenty twenty kind of spat, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But because But the, what did you make of him yesterday? 
yesterday he was. I mean, they won. He, he's he's. It's a bit weird though. He clearly didn't dress for the weather, and it ended up being quite hot. So he clearly very sunburnt. Yeah. He, well, he wore a suit. And he clearly, you know, when you buy um, a shirt that's meant for a suit, it's actually quite long, so you yeah. can tuck it in, yeah. so it doesn't like keep rolling up. Yeah. So it was clearly too hot, so he took his jacket off, and then he untucked his shirt, so it was like coming down to his knees. Oh, okay. so it looked like he'd been disturbed by a fire alarm. Yeah, basically. it looked like he, look, he looked <laughs> yeah. like a child at a wedding, like but yeah. the dregs of a wedding. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or disturbed by a fire alarm. Yeah, yeah. but the um, he was actually quite. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say magnanimous in in victory. Is that such yeah? <laughs> Is that a maybe thing? Mourinho? But um, yeah. but yeah, he he actually said he had a bit of sympathy with Moyes because Moyes was complaining the day before about the the schedule and how they're not neither of them are playing for another week, so yeah. they could have delayed this a bit further yeah. just to allow them a bit more recovery. Yeah. So what was the reason for that TV? Because there's so many games tonight. The TV. I think to so. Show. Yeah. Okay, and right. then obviously the FA Cup's coming up as well, and those yeah. teams who are playing tomorrow will be playing again or something like that. But. Um, it's a fair point, but at the same time, everyone's got to go through it. And we have this argument and this discussion every time, every season around Christmas when it's different for some teams and it's just the way it goes. And, and also, presumably, they were asked when Project Restart was consulted, we had heard about all these Zoom meetings they were having, everyone got to have their say. Presumably, at some point, someone in the Premier League went, you're going to have to play a lot of games and it's going to be this way because otherwise we can't fit it in. Are you okay with that? Well, it's the whole reason why... And everyone who's sat at home playing Monopoly so bored <laughs> out their mind going, yeah, I've fed up a bit on the treadmill. I'd love to do it. And now they're complaining about it already. Yeah, it's mm. the whole reason why they've been allowed five substitutes. It's the yeah. whole reason why they're allowing drinks breaks. You know, all of these things, these protocols have been put in place so that hopefully the players can cope through this huge build-up of fixtures. And, and yes, it does happen. Sometimes some teams will get just two days rest in between matches and other teams will get five days. But that's just the way it goes, Vish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the, um, you, you just reminded me actually, at the end of the press conferences, which we were also doing over Zoom. Um, so. <laughs> oh, interesting. So you're at the game, but you we're still the do game, the press conference yeah, over Zoom. Because we can't really sit together. And I, and I think the important thing from our point of view, or rather from the team's point of view, is they don't want us interacting with the yeah. with the players. There's different zones, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yesterday it was the amber zone. But at Watford, it was the red zone. Right. So who knows what colour will be next. But, <laughs> but but yeah, it was. so obviously it's all Zoom calls. We're all muted and it's run by the... It's basically the the media officer at Spurs runs it for Mourinho. So it's like when you set your parents up with a Zoom call. Oh, like, no, no, right. just like, so don't look at the screen, look at the camera. <laughs> and, and at the end, he didn't realise it, it hadn't been switched off. And he goes, right, now we can eat some delicious banana cake. Did he? Did he? So Mourinho's big into the banana. I mean, he's obviously in lockdown, it was a big thing, wasn't it, making banana bread? Well, this is Presumably he's got someone to do it for him. Well, it, it's not banana bread, it's banana cake. Because right. I, th- I think there's... What's your cut-off, though? Well, there's, no, there's a huge difference, because banana bread doesn't actually taste very good. And banana cake has a bit more of a softness to it, and, oh. and a richness as well. And I, and I think, you know, you can tell the difference between bread and cake. Bread is... You know, it, but, it's yeah, a bit, the problem it's more is starchy. Vish, yeah, but you say this. You've not but, tried my so, banana bread. Well, and also, <laughs> my wife calls it banana bread when it is a cake, and we have a bit of a con- we have a bit of a conflict about it. What did you think about Jaffa cakes? That's a big one, isn't it? Well, they're yeah, a biscuit, aren't they? No, well, it's a cake, go. isn't it? It's a biscuit. It's, that's been solved, and it? it was it went to court and everything. I'm not having that. And the reason <laughs> it's, it's a cake is because cakes, when they go stale, go hard, and biscuits, when they go stale, go soft. And a cake, a Jaffa cake goes hard when it goes stale, so it must be a What section of the cake. shop are Jaffa cakes in? That's that's their decision. That's that's, that's, <laughs> that's a marketing decision. That's a point of sale PR decision. That's nothing to do with it. Here's another one. Fanta orange. Is it orange or yellow in colour? That's a really well, good it t- question. It tastes, it tastes orange though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it tastes of orange. It's, yeah. it's orange flavour, but I think it's orange in colour 
my other half thinks it's yellow and we have argued about it for the whole time we've been together nearly three years I'm going to double check I don't want to say orange. I don't want to say anything on the record that might yeah, later. <laughs> people, people can maybe listen back in tomorrow to, to, to find out what Andy and Pete think about right. that but um, on the Mourinho thing um, and going just circling back around to the Paul Merson point and, 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 and Harry Kane and whether he'll, he'll flourish under Mourinho or whether he won't there was an in, I read an interesting article um, uh, this morning about um, how Mourinho deals with strikers and the way he coaches them and what he does with them and it's all that kind of stuff you'd expect but, but it's a great quote from Benny McCarthy who he had at Porto he, uh, he said that what, what Mourinho would do for him is he would he would big him up and give him confidence as you'd, as you'd expect, but he would also put together uh, <laughs> compilation clips of Benny McCarthy scoring great goals against good defenders to classical music soundtracks to get <laughs> Benny really up for it, right? <laughs> And um, and the, the quote is amazing. So Benny McCarthy, this is a, this is a direct quote. These compilations would have classical music playing in the background, music that goes through your body. It's like when you watch Titanic, and that soundtrack is just remarkable. <laughs> oh my god! So maybe Harry Kane and Jose Mourinho are socially distanced and watching clips of Harry's best goals together, That's maybe incredible. over the top of Celine Dion or whatever. There's so much to compute there, and I yeah. think I'm stuck on Benny McCarthy watching Titanic he loves it <laughs> big, hit, big hit with 1997 that. yeah exactly well it was a good win for Spurs beating West Ham by two goals to nil there was another game last night it wasn't a classic Leicester Brighton nil nil but a decent point for Brighton we'll talk about that one after this break Welcome back to the Football Ramble. Jules Breach here with Vish and Luke. And uh, let's get on to the other game last night then. A goalless draw between Leicester and the Seagulls. To be fair, I'm absolutely delighted with it. I know it was a bit of a rubbish game to watch if you managed to actually get through the full 90 minutes because the football wasn't particularly great. But it's a huge point for Brighton, especially off the back of beating Arsenal at the weekend. And, And when you're looking at Brighton's fixtures particularly from the restart, they are probably one of the toughest of the the teams fighting for survival in the Premier League. So to come away with four points from those first two matches, Brighton fans are pretty happy. Not getting carried away, but pretty happy with the way it's gone so far. It's a great it's a great return for the, from uh, for them, um, and uh, I, I regret the fact that Morpai didn't score that penalty because if he had, I think we'd have seen a much better game. Yeah, because Leicester was so poor in the first half. I mean, it was actually almost quite literally unbelievable how poor they were in the first half. And had Mopai scored that, I think it probably would have jolted them out of this malaise they appeared to be in. Um, but he didn't, and so we what we saw was possibly the worst game of football I've seen for a very long time. It got to the point, I was watching it, right? And it got to the point, my mind was drifting so much that I actually worked out that there must have been the biggest discrepancy ever between fullback heights Dan Byrne, oh, six seven, him, and Tarek Lamptey's only five foot four. Bless yeah. him. So one foot, one foot three inches between the fullbacks. It was the finest piece of fullback related trivia since um, the age discrepancy between Ashley Cole and Jaden Bogle <laughs> uh, at uh, Derby County. So that's where my mind What's was that? drifting. What was that difference in age? I think it's about twenty years. Oh, wow. What's Ashley Cole now? Thirty eight, thirty nine. Yeah, something like that. And yeah, Jaden Bowe was 19, so it would have been something like that. But Brighton started pretty brightly, didn't they? They, yeah. they, they did, and, but the, because they didn't get that goal, um, it kind of just petered out a bit. Yeah, do you know what? It's, it was all about the, the team sheet for me, though. For, for Brighton fans, 
we've been crying out for Graham Potter to play two up front. So as soon as I saw the team and I saw that Morpé was starting as well as Aaron Connolly, I was so excited for the game. And then it was also the first Premier League start for Alexis McAllister, who I think has got a really bright future What a ahead. character. Yeah, and he, he's just a great footballer. We've seen, we saw a couple of really good balls into the box from him. I think he's, a, he's an exciting player to watch. And then you've already mentioned Lamptey, who I think has to win the award for the most adorable face in the yeah. league. He's just got the cutest and, face. And, and you know what? Well, Tarek, I don't know how you feel, Vish, but like, Tarek Lamptey was a player that we heard a lot about for quite a long time before we saw him. One of these great new players coming off this Chelsea production line mm-hmm. alongside you know Mason Mount and, and one or two others. And um, I just didn't expect him to be so small and look no. so cute. I thought he'd be like quite tough and be like, oh, yeah, he's made at the very top level at a very young age. He must be really hard. He looks about 12. Literally. Yeah, so he must be have an awful lot of ability. And, and the final point I wanted to make was that um, on Alexis McAllister is that um, he has got a brother called Kevin who played, <laughs> who is the main character in Home Alone. So and if you don't, yeah. you don't, If you don't like that, then you don't like football, in it's my opinion. brilliant. He plays for Argentinos Juniors, Kevin McAllister. I love the... Um... The way the parents have named them there, yeah, Kevin yeah. and Alexis. Yeah, I think they've, got another, they've got another brother as well with quite an interesting name. You carry on, I'll check. Because, uh, uh, yeah, you'd feel a bit short-changed if you were the Kevin, wouldn't you? Alexis <laughs> is such a cool name. He's just a great footballer as well. A, a very exciting time, I think, in terms of looking at Brighton's squad and what they could He's got another brother called Frank. <laughs> he has. <laughs> Francis McAllister. So is Alexis the youngest or the oldest? Um... Yeah, he's the youngest. Right, he's okay, because it would yeah. be that way, wouldn't it? They wouldn't... They, they ran wouldn't, out. Yeah, they ran out of names and actually gave... Should we start making the most name. out of this naming? Because we've only done Frank and Kevin so far. <laughs> Alexis, that's much better, yeah. <laughs> much better, yeah. much better. Is he, is he someone that Brighton have heard a lot about? Obviously, because he, he, he had work permit issues yes. to start with, didn't he? And then eventually he got he got the signing because he got capped by Argentina. Is Correct, that right? yeah. It's, yeah. Been a, it's been a long time coming. He's a player that we've been looking forward to actually having in the country. And I think the thing is, is when, when we heard about about Alexis and, and heard about his talent. When you look and see he was playing number 10 for Boca Juniors, you're like, he yeah. has got to be talented. So, you know, for Brighton to to get a player like him, another young player into our squad, it's exciting times. I loved that team that team last night and I know it wasn't the best football match, but I still thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It was, it was almost weird when it got to the final whistle that I was disappointed that we got a point against Leicester. But yeah. that missed penalty from the first half, you have to look back at it and, and see that it was almost a missed opportunity to beat it was a Leicester awful, side who were not penalty, on their game the at all. The penalty was so bad. It was awful. If a keeper catches it, that's it, isn't it's it? It's bad. Yeah. That's yeah. in the worst. I mean, I think that's worse than putting it just wide. You've not tested the keeper there. You've just merely inconvenienced him, haven't you? I don't even think it's inconvenient. I think it's just, uh, he, he expects that he's going to have to make saves. That's his job. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think you've probably, if anything, you've patronised him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's really patronised him. But should Leicester be looking over their shoulder now, Vish? Because, I mean, they were far and away the third best team in the Premier League. And now, what are they? Four points off fourth or something? Yeah, they've, they've kind of hit a bit of a roadblock here. They were, they were kind of stumbling coming into the new year as well. I think it's. Yeah, and Chelsea got a game in hand over them as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it's quite natural when you consider how they've played, especially given that Jamie Vardy ended up. You know, certainly this season he's been actually had more a more withdrawn role despite all the goals he scored, and he's kind of been quite central to a lot of their creative stuff. They seem to, they do seem to have just stagnated, and, and the break came at a pretty bad time because evidently they've just they'll take a bit of you know they'll need a few more games to actually find the intensity that they they used to. It was um, I 
I didn't actually see this game and watch the highlights, and even the highlights were dull. But no, that, 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 there weren't many highlights. It's 30 seconds you never get <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, and half of that was just adverts. Yeah, YouTube, yeah. yeah. and then a missed penalty. And Dal Stevens very lucky, lucky this down the pitch, and Soyuncu was good. Yeah. That's pretty Soyuncu much it. Soyuncu was very good. Well, Lewis Dunk at the end there, I thought he got away with that, didn't he? A little he? bit, yeah. yeah he did. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, We've seen them given, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they talk about like unnatural arm positions and silhouettes, mm. and unless that bloke is walking around doing the Charleston, that is <laughs> yeah. that is outside his silhouette. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, just yeah. how Lewis yeah. Dunk falls. Yeah. Well, look, it was uh, a good uh, point for Brighton. It means they're now six points clear of the relegation zone. I'm going to make the most of this because the next few matches are, are pretty tough for the Seagulls. So hopefully. Uh, this is a sign of things to come for Brighton and, and we managed to stay up. Uh, let's move on and talk about some news before we preview the games coming up tonight in the Premier League because there's a hell of a lot of games. There's six matches coming up tonight. There's quite a few. On tonight, yeah. um, so before we get to that, a couple bits of news to cover. Two amazing news stories that have mm. developed in the last 24 hours. First of all, David Louise has signed a one-year contract with Arsenal. We'll get onto that in a minute. But also yesterday, <laughs> Neil Warnock is back. Mm. He has another job in management and we here at the Ramble are all very excited about this. He is the new Middlesbrough boss after Jonathan Woodgate was sacked. Um, Before I get your opinion on the Warnock being back... Listen to this email. This was sent in from Alistair Parry, who says, Hello all, I have a Neil Warnock story for you. My ex-girlfriend, this can only go one way. Yeah. My ex-girlfriend worked as a waitress at a hotel in Newcastle and the night before their game at St. James's Park last season, the Cardiff squad stayed at the hotel and she was the lucky member of staff to serve them. I received a text I'd hoped for all night. She indeed met the warlock. Wow. Yeah. A highlight included him complaining about having work the following day. My ex-girlfriend just replied with, no one should have to work on a Saturday. (laughs) She also said... He doesn't have good posture and had granddad <laughs> trainers on. He's in his 70s. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Probably is a granddad. Yeah, yeah but I expect he is, yeah. yeah. Uh, she was then petrified to watch the six-minute clip from the Warnock documentary where he gives that spicy team talk. She said, that's just not like the man I knew. <laughs> <laughs> He's chilled out in his old age, that's why. Oh, and uh, Alistair says, I hope you enjoy this insight into the man that is... Neil Warnock. We thoroughly enjoyed that, Alistair. Thanks for sending it in. Um, you can send your emails to show at footballramveldaily.com. I forgot the email address. Yeah. How can I forget it after Pete's jingle? I know. Um, yeah, I mean, Warnock's back, Luke. Yeah. He's back in and the job. He's a man who can do the avuncular kind of arm around the shoulder, make you feel very, be very charming, I'm sure. But he's also a man who can terrify you as well in equal measure. He can. He, he, he's kind of like the... Um, Daniel Day-Lewis he's got a good range he's got a very good range yeah, Woody Harrison can do your comedy you can do your serious Neil Warnock's like that um, but I mean he said this is my last job there won't be another job for me but he said that in 2007 <laughs> when he took the job a mere 13 years ago at Crystal Palace and he's been saying it ever since it's I think another he's had, decade he's had, yeah he's had a good handful of jobs since then um, so <laughs> he obviously loves it he can't get enough of it football is Look, my personal opinion is that his take on things like Brexit are problematic, but football is better for having him in it overall, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of we've gone through a period where, you know, a few of us haven't been able to see our grandparents and here returns yeah. football's granddad. <laughs> yeah. English football's granddad himself. Yeah. Um Yeah, he's probably the right person for the for for this particular period that Borough need him for because it's interesting speaking to a a Borough uh, mate a, a, a friend of mine who's a Borough fan who talked about 
Woodgate doing a lot of good things, but just not being able to, basically just being given too much responsibility. He said that he probably needs a few more years as a kind of understudy coach rather than given such an important job. And I think Warnock, you know, Luke, you touched on it there. Warnock's the type of manager who players seem to really respond to and, and really like being around. I think he's the t- type who kind of tells them stories and I don't want to dismiss him but before they go to bed. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, this is what football's like in the 60s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think players do do like that type of character leading them. I think they, they appreciate they need the technical stuff, but I think from a manager, especially in a period of time where they're going to be feeling pretty low, I think someone coming in to, to lift their spirits and also kind of hammer them in a way that's going yeah. be very different to Woodgate will... Couldn't be more opposite, well. really. You've yeah. got someone, Jonathan Woodgate with his... Sorry, Jonathan Woodgate. With Jonathan his, Woodcake. You got cake on the brain. <laughs> I've got again. banana yeah. cake on my mind. <laughs> Jonathan Woodgate with his first managerial job, and then you compare it to Neil Warnock, who has just this extremely long list of jobs that he's done and, and done yeah. very successfully over the years. So you've got two opposite ends of the scale, and he's seventy-one years old. It's quite incredible that he's taken another job. Yeah, and and this happens in football a lot. It seems to be there's an action and there's a reaction. And there's another reaction to that, and that becomes fashionable. Then that's out of fashion, and and it happens a lot at clubs like Middlesbrough. It's happened at Newcastle, famously over the years as well. But um, yeah, Lawrence Morrow is an ex colleague of mine, and and and, and follows. Um, he's a football commentator, and he said, look. Borough is a strange one because Steve Gibson is lauded as a bit as a model chairman. He's been there an awful long time. He's seen some success at the club. But if you look at the managers he's hired more recently, he's been through six managers in the last ten years. And, and Lawrence was saying that Mowbray's an attacking Tony Mowbray's an attacking um coach. Aitor Karanka's more of a defensive coach. Gary Monk was playing this four, two, three, one. Then Tony Pulis comes in, plays long ball, then Jonathan Woodgate tries to impart all these modern ideas onto the players, and then they go back to Warnock again. And it does seem very unfocused. If I'm going to criticise West Ham for that, you should probably criticise Middlesbrough for that as well. Yeah, yeah. But but Middlesbrough have a reputation as having this kind of, kind of you know, responsible chairman. Mm. The timing I first thought was a bit odd because if you're going to do it one game after lockdown is released, then you might as well have done it before. Beforehand, yeah. And they've got eight games now inside a month, Middlesbrough. So it's not going to get much time to to talk to them or work on them and drill different things because before they know it, you know what the championship can be like. It's an endless kind of conveyor belt of, of matches. So he's going to have to do the basic stuff really well. But then I suppose Neil Warnock's got a bit of a reputation for doing that. Um, and he also said this, which I like. He said, I'd more or less retired, but I thought, what an opportunity. Eight games without anyone booing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, brilliant. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, one of his lines um, a couple of years ago when he was talking about typically typically morose he was talking about what would happen when he dies and he said he wouldn't like a minute silence he was like a minute of people chanting warnock is a wanker <laughs> i'm sure that could be arranged <laughs> oh, <laughs> people will arrange that well my dad's a borough fan and he's, right. he's pretty happy right with okay warnock coming in because when you look at middlesbrough where they are in the table in the championship that is not where you should be seeing Middlesbrough Football Club. In terms of their history and, and everything that they've achieved previously, you expect Middlesbrough every season to at least be challenging to get promoted again. And the fact that they are just outside of the relegation zone on goal difference at the moment is shocking. I, I think it's been quite a, a strange season in the Championship as a whole, really. A lot of surprise kind of teams that are, are down there that you wouldn't really expect to be. So my dad's quite happy that they've got a an experienced manager coming in that hopefully can keep them up. He expects it's going to be a short-term contract and it, and it literally will be just for this end period of the season and then perhaps Middlesbrough start I think we all know he's going to start. I think what will happen is, I'll put my house on this, he will keep them in the championship and then he will stay. And they will probably be the unlikely playoff winners 
next season. You reckon? Yeah, it could happen. Well, that would be, that'd be promotion number nine, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Incredible. So they should be excited because, well, not excited is the wrong word. <laughs> they should be happy because he's clearly, quite clearly, going to keep them in that division. Yeah. And, and also, it clearly didn't work out for Jonathan Woodgate. There were rumblings. Well, he wasn't qualified all, for the job. Yeah. Really. All throughout the season about, you know, when he was going to get sacked. It was, it was almost like we were waiting for the day where when it happened. And it's just, like you say, look, slightly strange timing. But we've had this email from Liam Drake, who has documented some of Jonathan Woodgate's press conference highlights while at Borough. Um, it's actually an extremely long email and very thorough. So we appreciate <laughs> your time, Liam, in documenting all of the kind of weird things that Jonathan Woodgate said in his press conferences. But a couple of bits really stood out for us. So I'm going to read a couple of them out to you boys. Um, this first one, he said, Middlesbrough suffered three successive 1-0 defeats to Leeds, Barnsley and Luton. The latter, a home game in which Luton ended a run of losing 12 successive away games. Woodgate admitted after the match that, I don't blame the fans for booing because I'd have done exactly the same. I said to them at half time that the positive is you can't play any worse than that. <laughs> and then they did. <laughs> so he actually said That's that like a Chris Wilder style quote. Is- Chris, when, when Sheffield United were beaten in the FA Cup, I think it was, and Chris Wilder said, we were fifth best out there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another little tale here. Leading up to the home game against Swansea this Saturday, Woodgate spoke about how sharp the players had been in training and about the importance of a positive start to the game. After 34 minutes, Swansea had hit the post, missed a header from two inches out and were already three goals to the good. It would finish 3-0 seemingly because of an unspoken mercy rule in which Swansea treated the remaining 56 minutes like a park yeah. kickabout. Pete alluded to that. Pete yeah. said similar, yeah. Um, and final one, uh, after the game on a webcam interview, he responded with a now trademark response of, so the experience wasn't good at all for me. Hopefully in the next game is, um, listen, if we have our fans there, it's going to be a lot better. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's not great. It's, it's not great, is it? And I think that hopefully for Middlesbrough fans and for Middlesbrough for the rest of the season, uh, it can only go up from here let's now talk about David Louise. Like <laughs> it's been a day without David Louise chat and uh, here we are again talking about him unbelievable this fish a one year deal sign did you see it coming after his um, interview after the Man City game when he sort of said I want to stay and Arteta backed him I, I saw it coming after that performance because it basically sums up where Arsenal are at, yeah. really, that someone can go out and do that and they can think, well, we could do it the next year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, I want to say, that's not the point. Yeah, yeah it's not about you, yeah. necessarily. It's part of it, but that's it, you know. Look, David, I know you're down, mate, but there's only so much we can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But genuinely, some there is... I, I, I do want to make jokes about this, but I, I was so bemused by the news when it came through yesterday that... Immediately, I just thought something nefarious is going on behind the scenes here. There, there is something, I don't know, morally, kind of systemically corrupt about the fact that a bloke can go out and play so badly. And Arsenal seem to not really have a say in whether they sign him, actually. If you really look into kind of the dealings behind, you know, or who certainly behind the curtain at who's running things and doing the dealings, Kia Jurabshin's obviously been quite a huge part of Arsenal's recruitment over the last year, year or so, maybe. Yeah, just sorry, just the, since the start of the season. Um, and I, I just I honestly don't understand it. There's absolutely no reason why they'd even have to make this decision no. now, to be fair. They could extend it to the end of the season. That's the, that's the thing. No, It's no one thinking of the optics. Yeah. Even if you agree behind the scenes, yeah, my agent agrees, I agree, I'm happy to sign on for another year, the club's happy, 
don't do it. Don't announce it now. <laughs> Even if you wait for two or three more games, wait because the optics are absolutely terrible. And, and you know what, Vish? The other thing I would add to that is that another example of how difficult Arsenal are finding at the moment and the, the state of the, that they're in is that Cedric Suarez, 29, nearly 29, is injured, hasn't played for Arsenal since signing on loan and has just signed a four-year deal. I think he's signed three contracts since he's been to Arsenal. The first loan deal, the extension for the end of the season and then this deal. Crazy. It's crazy. It's I mean, good, good work if you can get it. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah. <laughs> he's but, absolutely, absolutely. It's that. quite similar to when we signed you, Vish. Really. <laughs> 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 but but it, is, it is, the optics for me are just so bad. They're so bad. There's got to be a reason. Like, Arteta's not stupid. There has to be a reason why they've decided to sign him. What do you think Arteta can see in him that perhaps Arsenal fans aren't seeing? Well, comedy? Yeah, it gets a little bit down. A bit it's a bit laugh. boring playing football sometimes. Yeah. But the, the players, they've, they, they've got four new deals, haven't they? They've got Pablo Murray, who they kind of like, and is a young prospect. Suarez, who we just talked about, and Luis, and, and Daniel Sabayas has, has extended his loan. And I do understand on one level the idea they want to keep Luis at the club. And the reason for that is he's very experienced. He, For me, he's technically very good. And he's probably... I don't know him, but I imagine he might be of use to them around the training ground with young players and stuff like that. As a leader. Yeah, maybe. The problem is, we can talk a bit about how David Luiz plays these days, which is that he's lost half a yard of pace. He's a risk taker anyway. So he's not all automatically necessarily going to change his mentality because he's always played that way. And if he's not got that extra bit of pace, which can make all the difference at the top level, then it kind of can be problematic. And you've also got a situation at Arsenal where I don't think the centre-backs trust the midfielders. So when you're playing against a good team, you you find that if you don't trust your midfielders, defenders, and this happens at pretty much every level, the natural reaction is to just drop deeper and deeper and deeper. And because you think, well, I need more time to react to this. I need to be at a, I don't know, if, I don't want to be caught out quite so often. So they, they, they just take up. I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, heat maps or anything like that, but I imagine he's starting a bit deeper than he used to, which is causing, it's causing problems. And so, I do understand why they want to keep him. I think the optics are terrible. Uh, I, I don't think that to make the decision now. And I I would be annoyed if I were an Arsenal fan about it, just chiefly because of what's going on. I think it just feels like there's this blame game at Arsenal, though. It's like it, if it's not one person's fault in, in one game, it's someone else's in the next game. And there's all this kind of like blaming of different players of why things aren't going well at the moment. Yeah, and there's always a nod to needing to shore things up behind the scenes, which... You know, sounds all well and good, but what does that actually mean? And mm. where does that come from? Does that come from the top, or is it the people at the top that you need to switch out? I, I actually, feel, I've, you know, I actually feel really sorry for Arsenal and Arsenal fans because they're almost at a stage now where the fans, that is, they just have to shut up and take it, don't they? Because every every single move that's been made over the last, you know, in this season has been, I, I can't think of one that's gone well. Hector Bellerin coming back from injury, maybe even Martinelli, you know, he's got injured again. Hasn't he's he? got injured. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such a dire time for them. And, and and I suppose those things are the uncontrollables, really. People getting injured, coming back from injury, but everything within their control is going to shit as well. And yeah, yeah, it, like they're they're the one group of fans who constantly get pelters. And and I'll be lying if I say I haven't. Listen, you've had a difficult time yourself, relatively speaking, when it comes to being a Man United fan. You've been on the end of some stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that's very much first world problems, though. It's it? true. <laughs> but, you know, is there any sympathy then, Vish, in the idea that David Luiz is 33, he's a really experienced player. I remember the game, the last game Arsenal had 
before lockdown. They kept a clean sheet. They won. Admittedly, it was against West Ham, but anyway. Um, and he played okay. Is it just that he's, he's, he's like a lot of players? We talked about Spurs and West Ham and, and, and Lister, Leicester and Brighton all looking a little bit bad. Um, is he just is he just been unfortunate because of the character he is that it's just happened to him but he's just trying to pick up the pace of the game again and he will get there in, in a few weeks time yeah yeah I mean to be fair if he plays in a three and if that's Arteta's plan going forward I can see him doing very well in that that's someone... another good point actually that would be much more suited to him yeah so maybe obviously there's probably a bit more future planning there and I suppose if Arteta is going to completely redo things next year he does probably need a head like Louise you mentioned earlier that he's, he's someone who's clearly very popular in the dressing room and I've, I don't think I've ever heard a bad word mm. said about Louise on that front it does sound like he's very much a team man and you, <laughs> managers need their generals don't they mm. you know, is Ozil happy get, take a bit of the heat off him for a bit <laughs> <laughs> he's had a great week Ozil no one's talking about him someone should take his phone off him he? he just <laughs> You'd think you'd know the day before you get a game if you're going to play. Don't tweet like you're going to play, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tweet afterwards, maybe. Yeah. So speaking of tweeting, did you, did you see Fabianski's tweet after the Wolves game? I didn't know. It was just simply, it was a, a photo of him taking a goal kick and simply, Wolves got the three points. <laughs> so and tragic. I it's factually accurate, yeah. And, it, and you know, it's one of, you know. Did he as, tweet after last night? <laughs> oh, I don't know, I haven't yeah. seen yet, actually. <laughs> but you know, like we've worked in those industries where, you know, some they wanted to, well, they want something to seem authentic and it ends up going through so many eyes. And that just looked to me, people looking over your shoulder, like, no, you can't say that. Get can't rid of say that. that. No, Take no, that fans will give you pelters for that. <laughs> just say they took the points. Yeah. <laughs> don't mention how, just say they have them. No hashtags, nothing. Yeah. Uh, well, look, Arsenal don't play until tomorrow night. They face Southampton. Um, loads more games to come tonight in the Premier League. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. I had to count them. I've written them down. Uh, Man United against Sheffield United. Uh, this will be an interesting one, Vish. No Dean Henderson, obviously, because he can't play against his parent club. And Sheffield United, they didn't look the same against Newcastle, did they? Especially after Egan sending off and not having their their standard kind of setup. It was a very different looking Sheffield United side. You feeling pretty confident about this one? Yeah, yeah, I am actually. I think United can go pretty strong at this Sheffield United side because they're not as well organised as they were before the break, understandably so. But United are certainly looking better shape. Um, there's also the potential that Pogba and Fernandez might start together. I don't know if they will actually, but United have six. I think they will. Well, that's. I mean, the reason I think they will is they've got six days until United have six days until their next game, mm. and then they've got three. They play three teams in the bottom six or yeah, something like that. You've got up. us, haven't you? You've got Brighton in one of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, and and Villa as well, and and Southampton who who are playing pretty well to be fair. But certainly the the fixture list is stacking up quite nicely for them that they can actually. You know, really go hard at Sheffield United, have that time to recuperate and then, you know, focus on what is a pretty comfortable running compared to the rest of the teams around them. So, mm. yeah, I am pretty confident. It's, it's kind of sad to see Sheffield United falling away because the big narrative coming into this period or what would have been this period in real time in March was that God, they could make a proper play for, for Champions League here especially with the, what's potentially going to happen to Man City. Um, and it's kind of fallen away and it would be a shame actually if we judge them on this period because Chris Wilder... Oh, they can't be judged. Are... They can't be judged on this period. It's only been uh, one we're, game. We're fickle, aren't we? We're game. all fickle and, you know, they'll start the next season badly. We'll be like, oh, we knew it. <laughs> we knew it. They couldn't hold it together. Well, without Dean Henderson in the side, when we've seen previously in the season, they have conceded goals in, in all of those games when he's not featured. So he's clearly such a key player for Sheffield United. But I do think that 
the game against Newcastle was just a bit of a blip. It, it's going to be a different side, of course, again tonight against Manchester United without Dean Henderson um, in there. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like Sheffield United, perhaps after tonight, will probably pick up where they were before. Well, they, they I mean, it's interesting that the goalkeeper will be the backup goalkeeper. His name is it Simon Moore. Moore. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, is it Simon? I, I think it's Simon Moore. I think his first name's Simon. I definitely remember his surname, obviously. We've and, had uh, Simon, <laughs> Frank, and, yeah, yeah, I know, and yeah, Kevin I know. today. Yeah, uh, and and he was in goal last time they played Man United. That crazy game where they conceded three goals in seven minutes mm. and then eventually pegged Man United back and got the three-all draw. And McBurney scored and it was disallowed for handball. That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah and Moore, was, Moore was at fault for at least one of those goals. And obviously John Egan's out as well. So if you take two, two key members out of that that kind of well-drilled unit, a defensive unit is like a team within a team, of course. Yeah. It, it's not ideal preparation for them, I don't think. No. And um, I, I I think Pogba will play with Fernandes. I think it's a really good opportunity for them to do that. And I think, and I also think they'll win. So um, that's my take on, on United tonight. Do you think Wolves are, are more favourites than Sheffield United now then to kind of sneak into the yes, European they're, spots? they're much better equipped yeah. based well, on what I've seen since they come back. It's Bournemouth for Wolves tonight. So that one will be one to look forward to. Bournemouth looked uh, a bit shaky as well trouble. over the weekend, I think they'll get they? relegated. Mm. Uh, also Norwich against Everton, Newcastle against Aston Villa. And then all of those games kick off at six o'clock. And then the later game today is Liverpool against Crystal Palace. Now, Liverpool can't officially win the title tonight, but they can move one step closer. If City drop points to Chelsea tomorrow night, then Liverpool have won it. Do you think it's almost nicer for Liverpool? I won't ask you, Vish, as a United fan. <laughs> um, do you think it's almost nicer for Liverpool if they can actually win it when they're playing rather yeah. than have to wait till tomorrow to find out if City drop points? Well, the team I support has um, only ever won the that I can think of the championship and the League Two title. And the League Two one, they were only top for 20 minutes and it was the last 20 minutes of the season. So that was a nice way of winning <laughs> Amazing. it. Amazing. But, um, of course, you want to win it when you're playing. Um, although it'll be a bit different for Liverpool anyway. But I think this game's one to watch tonight. I mean, mm. obviously, you want to watch football anyway. But Crystal Palace have done okay against Liverpool in recent seasons. And they're also set up really well on the break. Like They, they, they can, they can counter-attack quite well. And I, don't think, I didn't think Liverpool were very good against Everton. And I think that they they might hit their straps against Palace. Now they're kind of back at it. But I think there's a chance that we could see something interesting tonight in that game. Well, we talked about Grandad Warnock. This is Grandad Hodgson. Exactly. God, Doing yeah. it for the olds. Yeah, yeah being all the golden oldies. done a great job uh, mm. as Crystal Palace manager. What do you think the, the result's going to be tonight, Vish? I actually think a lot of Crystal Palace's um, recent good performances against Liverpool have been because they've had their backs against the wall with regards to their league position as well. So I actually wondered right. if, you know, they'll actually be a bit more free-spirited tonight and therefore Liverpool would have probably have more space to kind of break in in and around their box. So I, I can probably I see Liverpool winning this. I do, as you say, yeah, there's never a good way for a United fan to, you know, plan out Liverpool winning the title. <laughs> but it would, be, it would be nice if it went to next, a week on Thursday where Liverpool play Man City. That feels like it would be quite a nice yeah, way yeah. to kind of tie things off in a bow and never speak of again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've got much chance of no. not being spoken about again. Exactly. Mate. All right. Well, yeah. that is the matches we've got to look forward to later on tonight in the Premier League. Exciting stuff. We can't get enough of the football. We can't get enough of all these rambles as well. I'm going to be back tomorrow with Pete Donaldson and Andy Brassel. What so a meeting of minds that very much. Can, can we come in and watch that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do a live stream. Yeah. Sure. Luke Bish, thanks for your company. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. This 
was a Stakhanov production.